Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. What's up, everyone? It's Chris. We're live. Benzinga's new NFT show, The Roadmap. We've had some great projects already on our episodes. We've talked to the teams behind the Vogu Collective, Robotos, the Doge Pound, Oni Force, Dads, Dizzy Dragon, Supduck, Pixel Vault, and also an NFT giveaway. Stay tuned. We got more NFT giveaways coming up soon. And we've got a big, exciting show today uh, following up our interview with G Funk from Pixel Vault on Tuesday. We are will be joined today by another huge, uh, you know, well-known project. We are talking art blocks with the founder of Project. Uh, let me go ahead and bring on Maz, my co-host. Maz, what's going on, buddy? How are you doing today? Yo, what's up, Chris? I'm so excited for this episode, man. I'm glad to be here. I, I know you've been looking forward to this one. We've been trying to get the team on. We've had some, you know, scheduling issues on Benzinga's end, and we were able to finally nail down, you know, a, a date. And again, Maz, talk about a big week, right? We had Pixel Vault. G-Funk on Tuesday, and now Eric from Artblocks today, two of the most well-known projects out there in the same week on the, the roadmap. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the first projects that I was into when I got into NFTs has been Artblocks. I've been a big fan you know, ever since, and I love the work that they put out. So I'm super excited for this episode. So yeah, without further ado, man, let's get it going. Maz, I think it's time. Let's go ahead and bring on Eric, a.k.a. Snowfro, the founder of Artblocks. How we doing, Eric? I am I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me. That trailer was like, it made me blush. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're, glad, we're glad you like it. Yeah, our creative team has been doing these trailers and we love it. It brings some great personality for our show here, um, you know, but yeah. So I think we're going to have Mass kick off the questions here. If you're ready to go, Eric, super yeah, excited for this interview. You guys are. Yeah. Let's do it. So Eric, first question for you, man. So how did you get involved, you know, into the NFT world? You know, tell us a little bit about the backstory. Um, you know, we know CryptoPunks have something to do with that. So for people that may not know, just tell us a little bit about how that started. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. So dinner of art 10 years ago, I started coding, creating art with code. I was using projectors and writing really weird scripts in a software platform called touch designer. Um, it's just something that kind of blew my mind when I saw it live at Coachella and I was like, I want to do something like that. So that's kind of how I got into generative art. Um, fast forward like six years, uh, I was reading Reddit and I ran across a link that the creators of Larva Labs posted. I, I assume it was them that posted and said, hey, come check out our project. It might have just been another Redditor uh, to the to the claiming of the CryptoPunks. Uh, what I thought was really cool was that it was a generative art project um, and also for the first time being able to prove ownership of a digital asset felt really special uh, as well. And uh, I think something kind of interesting is that I by no means had come up with the concept of an NFT or even like the formation of it. But I, I had spoken to friends and be like, man, there's something here where like maybe you could have like a magic the gathering card on like the blockchain or some way of proving something that has rarities. And uh, but of course, it was all kind of speculative. Uh, and then I got that link to claim the punks. And I was like, holy crap, this is it. Like they nailed it. This is exactly what the world needs. And uh, I got real excited about claiming crypto punks. Um, I attribute 95% of everything that's happening now to the, the Matt and John from Lar Larva Labs. They, they lit the fuse 
uh, we wouldn't be here today without them. And that's kind of like where things, where things, where things started. That's awesome. And how much was it to claim a CryptoPunk when you claimed them? In my mind, it was 35 cents worth of gas, but I also was feeling kind of foolish for spending money. And I don't know that I would have felt foolish spending 35 cents. So maybe it was like 35 bucks <laughs> or $3.50. In fact, I guess I could just check Etherscan and know exactly how much it was. But I did claim 34 CryptoPunks. And during that process, um, you know, I... I realized I was being incredibly selfish because I claimed all the zombies that were left. And of course, if I didn't, like the next person would have, but uh, it was actually during that process that I thought, man, like the Ethereum blockchain can actually decide for me whether I get a super rare zombie or maybe even an alien or an ape or just a, a floor crypto punk, right? And so that, that was actually one of the very first moments where I was like, oh, I want to, I think it'd be fun to build a platform that presents you with rarities instead of uh, you getting to claim them. That's awesome. And you said you claimed 34 crypto punks. Do you still hold them all to this day or tell us a little bit more about what oh, happened? No. Did you sell any? <laughs> yeah. So early on, um, a couple other things happened that, that kind of gave me more inspiration for art blocks. And then eventually I was like, okay, let's do this. And when I did finally pull the trigger, uh, I, I've never really kind of been in a financial position to just like spend 10, 15, $20,000 on development. And so people were starting to place bids on my zombies and I, I was in utter shock the first time someone offered to pay me $200 for this digital thing that I had, you know, especially because in the early days of NFTs, you know, like the true, some of the, so, some of the innovators beyond that were like known origin, for example, that, that had marketplaces, but like things felt expensive if they were 200, 300 bucks back then, it felt very expensive actually compared to like, you know, a lot of pieces were like 20 bucks and 30 bucks. And so the fact someone was willing to pay me 200 bucks was significant. And so I um, decided to hire a team of really brilliant developers, a company called Block Rocket Tech, uh, to help me ideate the original version of Artbox, Artbox version one, which is very, very different than what Artbox looks like today. Uh, and I was selling CryptoPunk zombies to pay that habit, uh, uh, the developer habit. So, you know, I remember on at least one occasion, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to accept this offer for, for 300 bucks or 200 bucks, I will give you this zombie for $200 with the credit. But like, trust me, like, I don't want to, like, I shouldn't have to accept this offer. Like it's worth way more than 200 bucks, but like, they're like, yeah. no, I mean, we don't want, we don't want to be paid in crypto <laughs> zombies, which is totally respectable. Um, but I just remember thinking, man, like I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to do it the other way around. So I ended up uh, selling my zombies for like 200, 300, 400 bucks a pop to pay for their developer fees. Um, at the beginning. Wow, that's awesome. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about, you know, we know that CryptoPunks helped to launch Artblocks. When did Artblocks launch and how has it changed over time? You know, looking back at it, you know, from when it first began. Ooh, the, the first version of Artblocks in 2018, that first smart contract, I mean, there's, a, first of all, every art project had its own smart contract, which is a complete cluster in and of itself. Um, probably the biggest innovation since then was that we put everything on the same contract. Um, but yeah, it was basically, a, it was called an art node and an artist would create a generative script that would listen to the most recent block hash of the Ethereum blockchain. And so the generative script would just change every block. And there was slightly more complicated ways for people to intervene and inject their own hash into the script and generate a specific output, kind of similar to what happens with our blocks today. But it was through a very different mechanism where there was a token that stored a hash that you just kind of permanently owned that hash and you would interact with other projects with that token. It was, it was 
so many more layers of complication than what we have today. Um, it evolved to uh, what we see now, which launched in November of 2020, just last year, almost a year ago, uh, where the artist deploys a uh, art project on the same contract and the user comes and purchases a minted token and that minted token uh, contains a pseudo random generated uh, string of characters and that's what controls the randomness of the token itself. So today when you purchase an art block piece, it's being purchased on demand. It didn't exist before you purchased it, which is kind of one of our key things that I think is really kind of special. You're creating the body of work that the artist intended but has never seen before at the moment of, yeah. of minting. Uh, and in the end, your takeaway is uh, ERC-721, an NFT uh, that represents that experience of minting that piece. That's awesome. Fun fact, man. I actually bought a squiggle because it came out on my birthday last year. And, you know, I saw the date and I was like, oh, you know, I need to have this piece. And I've had it ever since. So I'm excited for that. No way, man. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about how you guys transitioned to like a Dutch Dutch uh, auction. Oh man, the infamous, the infamous Dutch auctions. <laughs> uh, so th there was a lot of things involved, and uh, you know, I'd like to state that we don't think Dutch auctions are like the solution for everything in the world, but um, we think we still think they are like the best approach to this. Uh, a couple of things were happening. Number one, we were having we were having gas wars, and we still have gas wars. And uh, gas wars are you know when more people want something than the amount that there is, and so yeah. they pay to increase their place in line. To get there faster and some people were paying more than the price of the art in fact uh when we kind of like drew the line and said that's it to gas wars uh we had a drop where 80 percent of the money that was sent to the smart contract or 80 percent of the money that was spent on the drop went to miners and 20 percent of it went to the artists and we felt like that was just kind of egregious and weird and like it just wasn't very art forward which is kind of our intent um now with Dutch auctions, you still have gas wars, but those gas wars usually end up at a higher price point to where, yes, a significant amount of money is going to the miner, but never more than half. And in fact, most of the time, like significantly less than half of the drop goes to miners. And so it just feels less kind of anti-artist and like more artist forward. The other thing was that we weren't uh, having any price discovery at all. And so, you know, we were kind of controlling artists to keep their prices between point, well, we never really set a low price. I always had the lowest price at 0.035 ETH for a squiggle. I mean, when squiggles came out, they were 40 bucks. Um, but, you know, we kind of we kind of had this like 0.25 ETH cap, you know, and that was kind of for curate. We reserved that even more for curated. I mean, if an artist in the factory wanted to drop it 0.25, they could, but, you know, it was very hard to justify 0.25 ETH like as a selling price at or in the early days of our blocks. And sometimes those projects wouldn't really sell uh, too quickly, which again, we don't mind because we like the art to kind of sit there on the platform for a little bit, but there was no price discovery. So part of this gas war was that people knew that the moment that a drop happened, if the price was low enough, artificially set to 0.1 ETH, and the least expensive price in the curated section on OpenSea was 1 ETH, that there was an instant kind of arbitrage opportunity there. Like it, this is completely separate for any subjective appreciation of art. It was this completely financial instrument of something generically designated as art box curated is for sale on OpenSea for one ETH. And that's the cheapest, that's the floor. And something arbitrarily designated as art box curated is about to sell for 0.1 ETH. And so even if I add 0.4 ETH in gas, it's still 0.5 ETH. 
and there's that margin to be made on the secondary market. So to us, that means that there was no price discovery. We were essentially creating a, a um, environment for wholesalers to come in and buy the product from us and then resell it on the secondary market for what kind of would eventually become the going rate after the drop for that piece. Of course, what happens a day, five days, and five weeks after that is actually more in line with price discovery in terms of people's appreciation of the art. Um, and we have kind of grown to let that market handle itself. But yeah, the Dutch auction was just there to, you know, to help with gas wars, but also to like divert more funds to the artist. Um, and just so that art blocks wasn't artificially setting prices for something on the market. Perfect. So, you know, we have art blocks, uh, factory curated and playground. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the differences in these different art blocks and how artists are selected for curated? Yeah. So, you know, in the end, the factory is this beautiful place for people to just kind of drop awesome generative art. And something that I think is really important to, to note that's changed with art blocks is that originally Artbox was meant to be this place for anybody that could write an algorithm. Like if you were going to create a script that drew a circle on the screen, we were going to let you because I was just so excited and geeking out about the potential for this type of work to exist. Also, I had spent so many years at this point, two and a half years, three years, basically kind of like begging artists to participate and was not very successful, partly because it was a pretty complicated process to participate early on. Um, that I was like, okay, crazy. Like, like, let's just create somewhere where anybody that knows how to write an algorithm can deploy an art piece on our box. Well, that's changed now. Uh, we have, we always seem to have like hundreds of people in the application queue and, um, we now have such brilliant works of art on the platform that we think that allowing low, like something that it's not even that it has to be low effort, but something that might be deemed low effort or something that's already appeared on the, on the platform, like three or four times as a kind of like a trope no matter how good it might be or how like generic it might be, uh, we feel like it eventually becomes a little bit of a disservice to like the truly exceptionally brilliant projects that have come out on the platform. And those projects exist in the factory, in the playground, and then curated. The difference is that a project that ends up getting selected for curated, which admittedly the bar has been raised over the course of the platform for curated as well, um, is a project that demonstrates something new or fresh, or like an incredible technical proficiency. It can be really, really simple, but if it's really, really simple, it has to be perfectly executed and defined. It can't already exist on Artblocks Curated. No matter how well it's executed, we don't want two projects that are using the same exact kind of algorithm or technology, or not even the same exact, but something that could be confused between the two. Um, and there's also like a little element there of projects that have that come from people that have participated in the generative art world for a long time. So uh, what we have in the curated section are originally was projects where we were a little bit more protective of price. We were a little bit more, uh, you know, we would tell an artist, Hey, like, and this was well above what the factory was commanding, but we would say, Hey, okay. Like you can set your price and iterations to whatever you want, but we want the max that this project would draw from it, from the ecosystem to be like $100,000 or $200,000, which is significantly more than the artist might have ever made before using generative algorithms. Not always, but often. Um, and uh, so we were controlling on price. We were controlling on um, features and we were just a little bit more strict. Um, and, and so 
what that leads to is the third category, which is the playground, which is more of a badge than anything. And what that is, is a designation that this artist has previously participated as a curated artist on their own. So, you know, we have a couple outliers, for example, if somebody was doing a collaboration in the playground and they present it as a single, a solo artist and curated, then that still has to go to the factory. Like, but you know, if you have two artists that have previously been curated and they want to collaborate on the playground, we would allow them to collaborate on the playground. It's just a badge that says, hey, like this artist really stepped it up and, and pushed really, really hard uh, to present something to a board of 25 uh, relatively neutral curators. And I say relatively, because some of them are very passionate about generative art and like advancing the medium forward. Uh, and those curators decided, hey, like this meets the expectation and the criteria for something that we would want to set aside as like a flagship project for our parts. Awesome. I want to talk about Chromie Squiggles. Um, you know, so that is the, you know, one of the most well-known art blocks projects, right? Uh, you know, when people talk about art blocks, you know, a lot are familiar with that. We also see, you know, these huge sales for them. So can you just talk to us, you know, about, you know, Chromie Squiggles? Uh, how this came to be and why you think there's uh, so much interest in uh, this Art Blocks project. Whew. So the squiggle was originally a proof of concept. It was never meant to be an art project. It was meant to prove how much variation you could get from the hash string that's stored in a token. And to do that, I said, okay, well, let's find point data because if you can have seemingly a limited number of points along an axis, axis and then you know another unlimited it's not unlimited there's actually more of a controlled range on the y-axis on the x-axis like number of points on the x-axis then i could come up with like trillions of possible combinations of chromie squiggles and yeah some of them might start to look very similar to each other when you get into the billions and trillions they would start like you would have that same squiggle but like the green point in the middle might go down two notches but everything else might be very similar but in an addition of ten thousand, it's actually um kind of uncanny how differentiated they look if you don't know the collection well and you just look at a squiggle they all kind of look like squiggles but when you start to explore them you realize that they're all very different from each other um that proof of concept was in 2018 in fact my brother so i originally wrote the chromie squiggle in 3js my brother helped me convert the squiggle to processing uh js uh, no just processing um because of a project where i uh gave a 2000 interior designers and architects in houston the opportunity to claim a chromie squiggle of which 14 claimed them uh, and were awarded with a real Chromie squiggle in November of last year. Um, and that was kind of version two of Artblocks where uh, it used the processing language uh, on a local computer and just stored the hash of that script as proof of the script. Um, the two years after that, I found myself kind of like, just, you don't know, when you're a generative artist, you just like to tinker and iterate and I found myself kind of shaping the squiggle and tweaking it and modifying it and also noticing that it kind of stood out from a lot of the things, not just in the NFT space, but just in the traditional world. Like I, I never in that two years ran across something and thought, man, that looks like a Chromie squiggle. In fact, I started doing Google image, image searches of squiggles and, and didn't really find much that felt like it represented a Chromie squiggle. So then I, I found this beauty in like the the discernible nature of the squiggle and how it actually can represent something that people can relate to. Uh, and then in the end, I started adding all the extra features like the, like the pipe and the rib and those didn't happen until right before um, Artblocks launched, but that was kind of where I got excited and, and really inspired about the fact that Artblocks was actually going to happen and decided to implement some extra little features to it. 
Awesome. And then, you know, the other uh, big art blocks, not that they're not all big, but the one that, you know, people talk about a lot, because again, the the big sales is Fidenzas. Uh, so give us a little bit of the background on, you know, the artists behind Fidenzas and, you know, what maybe draws people to this art blocks project. Well, and this one here is a Meridian. That's yeah, but, it's not a Fidenza. But similar in level of beauty. Uh, the, so the Fidenza project by Tyler Hobbs is, is pretty special to me just because Tyler is someone that I've been following for a long time. So like there's a very clear distinction um, of artists that I've been following and inspired by over the course of the last, let's say, 10 years of being kind of in the space of creative coding. Um, and he's one of them. And so it's it, it was really special to, to see uh to have him like agree to put something on the platform. Uh, he's in Austin and uh, I've actually seen his physical murals before because I live in Houston, so I'm down the street. And so I always kind of felt that it was even more special because he was in Texas. Um, and just his style is, is so special. He did something with Fidenza that demonstrated the depth of what can happen in the generation of a uh, body of work using an algorithm where the artist gives up curation sets the rules to where they're satisfied with anything that's going to come out of that mentor and uh, just sets it free to the world and lets the world kind of tinker with it. Uh, he, he amongst, like, just like any other art blocks artist, they, they take these huge risks. Like, in the generative space prior to art blocks, you, you had the script living on your computer and you, you could generate thousands of outputs and then pick the one that you wanted to supply to the gallery or if you were just going to post it on Instagram, whatever it might be, you, you had this, like, built-in curation and i think what makes our box special is that that curation is out the window that curation has to be done all on the front end and the artist has to really tweak and massage their piece to where their their algorithm to where every single piece that comes out of the minter minter uh, represents them as an artist and, and they're digitally signing something before they've even seen what comes out and um our blocks um uh, tyler hobbs really i think demonstrated that uh like as a, as a top project on our blogs. Perfect. Yeah. Love that. So to people that may not be familiar with generative art that are listening, um, can you tell us a little bit more of how the art is actually minted on our blocks when people mint it? Yeah. So um, generative art is a form of algorithmic art. Algorithmic art basically means that it, instructions are given to a computer and the computer spits out an output. Uh, algorithmic art might be that you were never intending to have more than one output, right? So you just write code and it produces something different than using a paintbrush, even paintbrush on like a tablet. So generative art is where you take that code that produces that thing and you assign a bunch of variables. So the background color, instead of just being blue, is actually set to a variable so that every time that you generate a new one, it can be blue or red or green or whatever. And when you assign various variables to an algorithmic work, to where every time that it generates, it sort of at random generates something fresh and different. That's where it crosses the line, at least in my opinion, of what would be considered a generative project. And I think something really beautiful to look at is that a generative project in my mind doesn't have to be algorithmic. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of art of all time is a piece uh, in Marfa, Texas by Donald Judd. It's called 100, boxes, 100 Untitled Boxes in Milled Aluminum. And it's, it's you know, Donald Judd, drew architectural drawings for a hundred sculptures and they were created, but there was rules. They all had the same length, width and height. 
And then he just modified the internals of them. So when you walk around them, you see these blocks, they're all the same size and like the site modifications. To me, that's a generative project, but made by hand. And then generative art on art blocks is a generative project that's generated by code, you know, generated algorithmically. The, the, the end results are very similar. So, you know, the, whereas a generative project like the 100 uh, un, uh, unnamed boxes uh, in milled aluminum, if you just have one piece, it looks really cool. It's like a beautiful sculpture, um, but without exploring the entire collection of a hundred, it actually just doesn't feel the same. Like you need to see all of the other iterations to really appreciate that one that you're standing right in front of. Otherwise it just looks like a metal box. And I think a lot of that kind of happens on art blocks where, you know, you really can, you can become attached and really fall in love with a specific output or iteration. But then when you see the entire, um, uh, output when you see the entire body of work that's when it really sinks in the the time and effort that the artist went into into creating this like beautiful piece uh so what happens is the algorithmic artist uh, the, the artist creates an algorithm that algorithm is is stored on the blockchain immutably so like on the ethereum blockchain and that algorithm is missing the variability component so like when i talk about the background being red or blue or green the algorithm is waiting for you to tell it whether it's going to be a blue background or a red background by providing it inputs that are stored on the token itself. So the NFT, the, the non-fungible token, all it stores is a bunch of strings of characters. The algorithm that's stored on the blockchain without the information stored on the token is useless. And the information stored on the token without the information stored on the blockchain is also useless. It's those two things combined that create a visual output on our block. So when a user comes to the project, all they have to look at, besides maybe some tweets from some artists that they might've kind of teased their work, all they have to look at is all of the previously generated editions of that artwork. And that is the information that they have to decide whether they like those outputs and then want to mint another one. So when you go and you look at the beginning of a project and all you see is mint number zero, you actually have very limited information. To me, it's usually enough information to know whether I like this artist's style in case yeah. I wasn't familiar with them before. Uh, but then after that, you know, after 50 of them are minted, now you have this body of work and you can start to see the nuances between the different pieces. And that slowly builds until the edition sells out at whatever the cap that the artist set for the, for the artwork is. And once that edition sells out, no more iterations can be purchased. And that's when you get the final body of work, the entirety of the, uh, of the pieces. Love that. And like how you mentioned earlier, right? So the artist doesn't know what the final body of work is going to look like until it's minted, which makes it pretty cool. Correct. And, um, and one of the, well, I'll just kind of touch on this here too, because I mean, we, we get really excited about, we get, we get really nerdy about the blockchain component, right? So generative artists, like I mentioned, could have pressed the space bar before our blocks existed and generated unlimited number of iterations for a generative piece. And so what the blockchain does is it kind of creates a finite amount of iterations to something that has historically been unlimited. Uh, and that's kind of something that couldn't happen without the blockchain. I mean, yeah, you could trust an artist to generate a hundred outputs generatively and then drag the algorithm to the recycle bin on their computer. But for some reason that feels really weird, like to destroy code like that. Like, you, you know, artists also iterate on their code and they kind of build on it, but it's not that different than like a screen printer taking and saying, this is an addition of 10 and then destroying the, the, the screens after 10 and kind of proving that no more are going to be created unless you go back yeah. and recreate the screen. Got it. Uh, where do you see generative art going from here? 
Well, we're enjoying generative art um, as kind of generative art fans here. And I think we're introducing a lot of people to not just generative art, but art in general. We're really enjoying the, the fact that people, you know, in our, in our Discord, we have this meme that's like, came for the flip, stayed for the art. And I think that, I mean, people laugh about that, but I really think that genuinely has happened. If that has happened with 100 people in the last 11 months, I consider that like a major victory, right? Like what else in this world is so uh, intentionally introducing people to art um, than, than that kind of experience? So uh, I think that art in the generative world will kind of get, a, you know, it's been around since the 60s, uh, but might get a new level of recognition, not just because of art blocks, but because of other generative art projects uh, on, uh, um, in the space. In fact, I always like to joke that like, I've been watching people buy generative NFTs on super rare and known origin for years, but the word generative wasn't part of the equation because it just wasn't part of the equation. The artist was creating it algorithmically and yeah. minting it and putting it on the platform. Um, and it's really nice to now see the word generative as part of the equation to a degree, maybe overdone in a couple of cases, but that's okay. Like that, that's a, that's an indication that people are kind of drawn to that beyond generative art. I think there's a lot of opportunities for generative content. So a lot of the, time that I spent ideating art blocks was not just for art, although art has always kind of been our forward and our, our first kind of step, but also for, for the concept of generative design and generative content. In fact, you know, um, early versions of our website said, you know, generative content or generative design hosted immediately on the Ethereum blockchain. The, the idea here being that just like, so art is the easiest implementation of generative uh, content uh, because it's, it's digital, it's flat, it's a, it's a file stored on a computer or an algorithm stored on a computer. I think there's opportunities similar to the 100 uh, untitled boxes of in milled aluminum, where like you might have a really talented uh, furniture designer, uh, industrial designer that creates an algorithm that creates a coffee table. And you know you're gonna be happy with anything that that algorithm produces because you've seen this designer's work and you will go and you'll spend 2000 bucks on a coffee table which is actually a lot of money for a coffee table, but somehow not a lot of money in the NFT space. And so I think we're eventually going to reach this kind of homeostasis where we realize that, you know, you could spend half an ETH and actually maybe have somebody manufacture a coffee table and have it delivered to your door that uses CNC to follow some features that an algorithm dictated that was created by, by an industrial designer or a graphic designer. So I think we're going to see generative applications and, industry, uh, furniture, manufacturing, and then also gaming. I think that, you know, if, if every time I went and bought my, my sword on Zelda, if it was just a slightly different pixel configuration, I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, but then on, on top of that, if I could level up that sword and then it's available on OpenSea and, you know, it's unique from the start, but then on top of that, it can be built on um, and, you know, you can sell it and then go mint another sword. Uh, I think there's a really beautiful opportunity for video game companies to have the the entire catalog of objects in a game existing on a single smart contract, kind of like the Bible of that project. So like, you know, every sword, every suit, every character exists as a generatively created piece. And no matter what happens to that game, that that catalog exists immutably because of the way our blocks works. We store the scripts on chain. It's a, it has more longevity than your traditional NFT or the traditional video game that was hosted in 1995 on a server that no longer exists. There's that immutability that I could go back to in 20 years and be like, oh man, I remember when I got that character and I you know, played that game. And it's not dependent on the success of that video game. 
even though I might have dedicated 40 or 50 hours of my life to that video game, and now that video game doesn't exist anymore, or that company went out of business, I can still go have the memory of that experience and maybe even own those pieces. So I think there's opportunities in the video game uh, space as well, and we we will definitely want to explore those with art blocks once we kind of get our get our stuff together and, and get to explore outside of art. Oh, that's awesome. So are you teasing out of art blocks video games coming soon? You know, we have one developer already, Hideo, Hideo uh, dropped a piece on Artblocks that uh, is a game. It's a little game of Pong, and it's super, super sweet. It's like super smooth, clean, 3D. Um, and, you know, when, when he created that, I kind of hinted at him creating Artblocks Arcade and, and kind of creating like a standardized output for these games where another website could actually listen to outputs from the algorithm that would post scores and kind of create a home for people to like kind of all play the games together, these like blockchain mini games. Uh, we are absolutely going to focus on art for the foreseeable future. There's, there's, you know, there's so much bandwidth that can be dedicated just to improving the art part of the platform. Yeah. And that is our roots. And that's where we started. And it's so easy to get excited about all these other opportunities and we'll, we'll approach them. But um, for now, you're going to have to live with like, you know, a couple a couple games hosted in the art box factory and you know i'd love to see like a putt putt golf thing or like it generates a golf course like a tiny little golf course with a hole in a random location and rocks in random locations and maybe you can't yeah. even beat that because the algorithm created an impossible level i think there's a lot of fun to be had there uh we're just uh we, we really are just wanting to take a step back with the exploration and focus strongly on just making sure that our product is as user-friendly and um, buildable as possible Love that. So we've seen DAOs become a hot topic in the NFT world lately. Uh, what are your thoughts on DAOs? Do you? Um... I hated the idea of DAOs uh, early on. Uh, in fact, it took two very smart humans reaching out to me and uh, proving that that there was humanity in the concept of a DAO. So I, you know, I, I've always been so grossed out by like the incredibly speculative nature of everything in the crypto space. I shouldn't say grossed out, like that's not the right word. I just, uh, I, I really discouraged, I guess, by just how everything has to be associated with the valuation. Um, there's a mark, I mean, there's market cap on squiggles, right? Like it's a work of art, but like they're, you know, squiggles are referred to as having a market cap. And I'm not offended by that. I just, you know, like everything has that like, dollar value associated with it. And to me, um, in my early days of crypto, which is 2017 and participating in new coins and startups and uh, masternodes and, you know, trusting other people to dedicate time to a project and people really like, I just, I think enough times I would be participating in some kind of like altcoin project and the value would spike and like half the team would go away because they would just sell their shit because they made it like they made a bunch of money and I, and, and I felt like DAOs were just going to be an automatic perpetuation of that. Uh, and then I met the beautiful people of the Flamingo DAO. And um, I just remember uh, pre reached out early because she's like, Hey, I just want to let you know we're the ones minting all these squiggles. Cause there was somebody that was just minting a bunch of squiggles. There was a few different people that were minting squiggles. And I was like, man, I hope these people uh, realize like there's no guaranteed value on these things. <laughs> like this is just like, you know, um, my little art project, but she reached out. She's like, Hey, I just want to let you know, we're really excited about art blocks and we really love your squiggles. And I was very cordial and I was very excited. And then, and this is before I knew she was even part of a DAO. And I, I specifically remember, she's like, have you ever heard of Flamingo DAO? And my response was like, Oh, I'm not into DAOs. And 
we kept talking and it just, I mean, I love my fellow degenerates in the space. I've spent four years like on Discord and the CryptoPunks Discord, literally like meeting everybody as they stumble into crypto because, or into NFTs, because that was kind of like the, the home, uh, you know, yeah. the birthplace of all the projects. And I just, you know, I love all my degenerates, but I definitely felt alongside them, like very degenerate in the NFT space. And so little by little talking to Priyanka, I just kind of started feeling like I was talking to a human, like someone from the outside world, uh, someone that understands law and uh, just no just normal procedures. And so I decided to kind of consider working with Flamingo Dow and I did, and I joined. And I just remember joining and being like, this is, this is like pure magic. Like there's dozens of people inside the Flamingo Dow talking about all the projects that are coming out, giving opinions, voting, thumbs up, thumbs down. And there's 50 something members and maybe only 13 active members. And like, I was maybe more than 13, but you know, I was originally an active member and I felt like I was contributing. Now I feel like a just you know, useless member just because Outbox has completely taken over my life. But you know, I have this like dream that I would one day get to a point where I can wake up in the morning uh, open up like the you know philosophical newspaper, which is like the Flamingo Dow Discord with a cup of coffee and just look at all the comments from the day before and participate in all of these things. The exploratory uh, nature of DAOs, I think, is incredible by having that many people from that many different backgrounds all contributing to a project. I think that there's just like, just it, I, I just think it's a beautiful thing. And I don't think all DAOs are, operate the same way. And I don't think all DAOs will be successful long term. But I, my, I definitely did a 180 degree pivot when I met Flamingo and realized that there actually was a humanity behind these DAOs and like their way of collecting art. I mean, yeah, I think there is a financial long-term horizon just like there is with just about anybody in this space, but they seem to respect the NFTs and the value and the artists um, a lot more than others. And so I, I have like, a, there's a special place in my heart for, for Flamingo DAO. Love that honesty on DAOs and also, you know, admitting to the the 180 there. So uh, uh, thanks for that, Eric. Uh, you know, I, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, the market cap of art blocks. We talk about floor price on the show and, you know, putting the, the ETH value aside, how do you measure, you know, the success of art blocks? What makes it a successful project in your eyes and that you're most proud of with it? I often tell people that what, what I consider a successful artwork is when you drop the word crypto and when you drop the word generative and you just call it art. And, um, you know, if you go back to like Tyler Haas Fidenza, all of those pieces, they look really great in the body of work, but they actually look pretty awesome independently too. Like even if it was just a one of one, like that's a really delicate, beautiful piece. And so the success of, it, of an artwork for me is a like my interest in minting a bunch of them, which obviously since Artbox has uh, gone through like a growth mode that has significantly reduced. You know, like I minted seven, minted and purchased seventeen hundred Artbox pieces between November and uh, May, and then subsequently minted and purchased maybe like fifty from uh, June or July to today. So obviously, like my fund has dropped significantly in the, in, in, in the process, but. To me, the, the sign of success is like how degenerately I decided that I wanted to mint that piece, like whether I wanted one or 10 or 20, or in some cases, like, like poor uh, Alexis Andre, uh, he, he dropped, a, he did a piece called Messengers. And I, I mean, I went deep. I, I think I bought 40 of them because I wanted one of every color. That to me is like success um, uh, in terms of like an art piece. But that's just me as like a curator of my art collection. 
Um, the other sign of success is like really watching people from the outside world coming in and purchasing these art box pieces, some of them at very significant valuations and people that have zero short-term horizon. Like, you know that the person that's buying these pieces at this price point is not expecting to turn around and sell it for like 10X next week. Like at those prices, there is a fundamental ceiling. Like we talk about floors all the time, but there must also be a ceiling, right? And so whether that fundamental ceiling is the total sum of all of the dollars in the world or whether it's some other factor of, you know, um, you know wealth, uh, we, I do think that as you, as you sell pieces for hire, you're getting closer to that fundamental ceiling. And so watching people buy pieces at that kind of fundamental, I mean, that's not the ceiling, but as close to the ceiling as we've seen, uh, that have zero intention of moving those pieces for the next few years, uh, I think is really a, a pretty solid sign of success as well, because that long-term these are being recognized as like isolated individual um, successful works of not just generative and not just crypto, but just art. They stand on their own. And the, like the goose ringer is a really a good example of that. Like it became a very well-known piece, uh, within art box, you know, um, the, you know, Dimitri showed a lot of favor to it, but then it also kind of looked like a goose and like people recognized it. And, you know, the owner of it was just so proud of, of that piece. And it became world famous, I guess, maybe just in the NFT space, but it's a pretty big space these days. And and then watching that expand to end up in a collection of someone that was collecting just like the finest pieces of not just art blocks, but like all uh, NFTs uh, really, I think, solidified the, the long-term uh, success of, of art blocks. Perfect. So one of our favorite things to ask on the show, um, you know, when we have the creators of projects on is to talk about their favorite traits, right? So Artblocks obviously has so many different projects. So I know you probably can't pick, you know, your favorite ones, but maybe give us some favorite traits for Chromie Squiggles or some of the other uh, big names. What do you think? Uh, what are some of your favorite traits out there? Well, my, 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 it's easy with the Squiggles. Um, I, I really like the closed terminal ribbed um, as the community has so nicely dubbed it. Uh, I just love the words that the community can use to describe these pieces. And so like, ultimately they've, they've, uh, they've named it and it's just the ribbed squiggle um, that doesn't have an open end on the end that you don't see color on the end. You just see like the same color of the squiggle uh, that I, there was a time where any of them that were for sale under five, under 0.5 ETH on OpenSea, I was snagging them uh, and I built up a, a little extra padding on the, on those. Um, I love those pieces a lot uh, outside of the squiggle. I think I remember, um, you know, Early on in art blocks, traits were important, but they weren't like this intensity like they are now. And I remember uh, the archetype drop, Chettle created this trait called the cube and the corner. And then, you know, like the rest of them were just the archetypes. And there was something to me that just felt really special about like zooming out from this otherwise flat field and seeing the corner and that special and then having the whole cube and making that extra special uh that really stood out to me as a really special trait and when i say that it's like i end up chasing those traits and then spending more money on that than i've ever spent on anything else in my life and to date the most expensive things i've ever purchased in my life other than a house is an archetype cube uh and um two subscape starfalls so the starfall was another trait that just it just struck me and I'm, 
yellow and black are my favorite colors. Uh, and so there was just something when I first saw that, I didn't even know, you know, that was when Artbox was starting to kind of move faster and I stopped getting to literally nerd out and dive into every single test net. I mean, there was a time when Artbox was getting started. I knew every single test net piece from every drop. Dimitri minted a thousand test net pieces. I probably explored like 300 or 400 of them. And then I got consumed by Artbox and I didn't really get to appreciate all the fun stuff that was happening. And I just remember seeing the Starfall piece uh, from Subscapes, from Matt Delorier's piece, and after the mint, and being like, I have to have that. And so I went in and I bought one, and then I bought a second one. And um, just, you know, those two really stood out to me as like, they, it, it, like more in a sentimental way than just like, oh, these are rare. Like they, they touched a chord, and uh, I, really, I really appreciate them. And there's many, many more, but those in particular like stand out. That's awesome. I mean, I know it's hard to pick on some of these. Uh, so, you know, I hate to ask that question, but we always like to, to try to get it out there. So, um, Eric, talking, uh, you know, broadly about the NFT market, right? You mentioned, uh, uh, I think, Rarible earlier. You mentioned OpenSea. We obviously have this, this overhanging elephant in the room of Coinbase getting into an NFT marketplace. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, a big crypto name like Coinbase getting into NFTs and, you know, will art blocks uh, have a uh, place in that? I'd say bring it on. I mean, their, their user base is significantly bigger than the existing NFT space, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having some early conversations with them and like just learning about their integrations and kind of how they're going to uh, deploy their project and like their MVP. And, I, I really think that they have an approach that's a, that's different than your standard kind of NFT marketplace. And I think that it'll find a lot of love and a lot of success. Uh, I think if they act as a, as a, like an introduction to NFTs to 1% of their many, many millions of user bases, user base, uh, I think we will all enjoy um, a, just a new generation of people entering the space. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. Um, marketplaces are hard. They're very hard, you know, and, and, and as, as, as I, sp I spoke to, for example, uh, Coinbase the other day, and I was like, look, guys, like, a lot of people like to kind of shit on OpenSea. But like, can you imagine being in the position that OpenSea was in, like in August, where not only do you have like a massive amount of sales and a massive amount of activity, but then you also have a new influx of people trying to deploy projects and everybody has their own little special case and their own little customer service request. And yeah, you can try to grow your company, but like I, I experienced the same thing in Artbox. No matter how fast you try to grow, like you can't just pick people off the street and stick them behind a computer and start coding. Um, and so I think that there's just so much there that uh, is, it's so easy, I think, uh, for the general public and, and and that might have been me before i started our box right like kind of com complaining and like you know yelling about the inefficiencies of of, of open but you know i remember open at nft nyc in 2019 you know with a very humble table and you know three four dudes that literally just were huge nft nerds and that conviction that they had that early on uh i think it, you know they they get all of the love and the market share that they deserve. And I think it's going to be up to everybody else to either develop a better product or a different direction, um, a different environment, a different experience altogether for NFTs in order to kind of capture some of that market share. But I do caution people like when you, you know, it's like, I, I feel like projects could come out um, to compete with Artbox right now and be like, well, 
you know, we're not going to tell you how many additions you have to do. Like they can, they can basically like pick all the things that our blocks is struggling with and say, we're going to create this new marketplace. That's going to fix all that. But like that basically is saying that, you know, our blocks is just naive and or dense and not understanding those conditions and just plowing through things. When in reality, there's a very specific reason why the things that are deficient on our blocks are actually deficient on our blocks. And they have to do with scaling and they have to do with like supply and demand. And um, I think what I, what I appreciate about Coinbase is that they're not coming out and saying, okay, like we're going to do everything, you know, we're going to pick all the things that OpenSea is doing and do them a completely different way. They're just going to do their own thing. And I think that's how healthy competition happens in the crypto space is just do your thing, bring to the table, bring to market, whatever you are passionate about, whatever you feel strongly about. And if it fits, people will come to you. And if it doesn't, then, um, you know, that, that that's part of like startups and entrepreneurship. Love that. Eric, one of my favorite things uh, that come out of NFTs are the communities. Uh, you know, how do you communicate with the uh, Artblocks community, you know, right now? Is it through Discord, Twitter? And if so, are you active on a daily basis in those communities? Our Discord community, I think if it hasn't hit 40,000 users, is about to, which is just completely yeah. like bonkers. It was a thousand during the archetype drop. In fact, we kind of did a when we were first panicking about oversubscribed drops, we were, we did like a whitelist in the Artbox Discord, just like we did a user, white, not a whitelist, but like a, a user list of all the users so that in case we needed to implement a whitelist, we had a way of doing it that couldn't necessarily be cheated too easily. And then we did that a few weeks later and it was 4,000. I can't remember, it was after some other drop. And then we eventually just gave up. Like there's 40,000 people that have joined. Um, I spend a little bit less time in the Discord than I used to because now there's... Uh, 14, 15 of us at Artbox. And uh, I spend a significant amount of time on like one-on-ones with the team to make sure that, you know, we can kind of keep our stuff together and, and continue building and growing the, the platform. But um, as a result of growing the team, because, you know, I got to a point where, I mean, I, 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 was on the, I was on the verge of breaking myself. I mean, you know, I was easily 80, 90, maybe sometimes more hours a week. You know, I'd wake up, I'd spend the entire time on Artbox and I'd put my kids to sleep and then I'd stay up till three, on our blocks and it got to this point where it was just like so overwhelming and excessive and a lot of that time was you know uh you know one-on-ones with people in the discord like trying to defend what we're doing and you know standing up for what our blocks believed in and not trying to like get swept into like this whole crypto speculative madness and um the the cool thing about growing the team uh where right now i spend a lot of time with the team is that i'm hoping that by growing the team and being able to kind of offload a lot of the responsibilities that I had on a day-to-day -day basis, I can go back into the Discord and fight it out with people again. And I love fighting it out with people as long as they're respectful. I don't like talking to people that are accusing us of being money grabby and like, you know, that's just not a fun conversation. Like, I don't think we've indicated anything but goodwill for the community. Like we really want the community to thrive and we want the artists to thrive and we want the platform to thrive so it sticks around. How many platforms existed in 2008 at the peak of like the crypto cycle? And then that's when they were thriving and it, you know, everything fell apart and they, they went with it, you know? So it's good to be thriving in good times and also be very conservative so that we can then exist during the slow times. And that's when we can build. And right now things are cooling off a little bit. And so it's giving me some time to get back into the discord and have some nice little bouts with people, which I kind <laughs> of miss. I mean, I, I don't, I don't miss the ones that we were having in August, uh, but I miss the ones that we're having today. Um, and, and it's going to give us time to take a step back and build and, 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 and literally just continue trying to build like the best NFT platform that can exist, like the most crypto native piece. So 
um, you know, that's that's kind of where we're at. But I love my community. Uh, we're very lucky. The, the, uh, the, I, I could not be more grateful for the team on Artblocks. They are the community. They all came. A majority of the Artblocks team came from the community, which is just completely mind blowing as well. Um, and and together, you know, uh, I think I think we I think we're going to do some fun stuff. Love that. And you actually talked about, you know, how NFTs can be mentally straining, which they can absolutely be that, you know, how do you balance your work and personal life, you know, now, you know, there's a, there's a story I'll tell you. So we, we actually engaged with a mental health expert um, because we started feeling like the, the quality, the mental health quality in our discord was actually starting to be strained. Like people were saying things that just made us nervous. Like it just, you know, it just, felt weird. Like there was the emotions that were there were being really worn um, in, mm -hmm. in public. And, and more importantly, the way the public was reacting to them maybe felt immature and felt troubling to us. And so we, we started working with this mental health expert um, who we started explaining, this is discord and this is the madness. And we shared discord and it was like, yeah, these are the examples of the things that make us really nervous. Um, and during that conversation, he's like, hey, can, can we just step back a little bit and, and, and talk about your team? And like, I remember specifically hearing that and like, just like, I was in complete shock because he was like, you're worried about like the mental health of your community, but like, how is your team's mental health? Like you guys are on here 24 seven, duking it out with people and worrying about the artists. Cause I mean, you, you have, I mean, the amount of time that goes into deploying projects now artists are becoming veterans because they've already deployed before. So it's a little smoother, but there's so much time that goes, especially early on into auditing scripts and vetting the artists and like just the entire process, everything was 24 seven hands-on. Um, and it, it hit me pretty hard to, to be questioned about my mental health. When we were there to like find out and help the mental health of our community and people were questioning our mental health and we took a step back and we're like, yeah, this is, this is actually a problem. And we are all suffering from this, not just the community. There's an addictive mentality, like in discord and NFTs, there's this, you know, speculative nature. There's the instant customer service on demand, or I'm going to tweet about how your platform is terrible thing, you know, which, I mean, we, we definitely do not appreciate when people threaten us like that. Like, I think it's completely unreasonable considering how transparent we are and how public we are about our mistakes and our issues. Like it's just completely unreasonable. Um, yeah. So yeah. So mental health is so, it's so important in this space and everybody should take a step back every now and then. Um, and, you know, we've, we've implemented no drops on the weekends uh, that's been, that's probably been like the number one, like biggest mental health, uh, positive for me. Uh, cause I can actually kind of, I mean, I'll still lurk. I always lurk. Like you can't not lurk in discord, yeah, but like, can. I'll take a step back and, uh, and, uh, and not feel like I have to participate every single day of the week. And so my, my kids are, are experiencing more of me, which, you know, there was a time there where like, I just really wasn't wasn't there wasn't very present as a dad so things have come a long way i'm, I'm hoping that things uh continue to get better uh, for the team my target would be 60 hours a week like i'm not even looking for 40 i would just be perfectly happy with 60 uh and you know we, we have a lot of team members that have joined uh one of them in particular jake rockland as our cto that came in and was like okay no more drops on weekends like we you know you you need to set a good example like how many days off have you taken eric because if you're if you're trying to set an example for like you know, mental health, like if you don't do it, then no one else is going to do it too. Or they might take that as like the lead. And I was like, well, I haven't taken any days off. I literally haven't been off discord in 270 days. 
So, you know, um, we, we, I, like I said, our team is just really special and um, everybody's looking out for everybody and uh, we're, re- we're, we're just really lucky. And um, if, if, if in the next five years, Artblocks can get to a point where it can even be considered for the, like the top 100 companies to work for in the United States, like that would be my next goal. Um, because if we can have like the best artists and the best artworks and the best team, and on top of that, be recognized for like having internal, co- like positive company culture, um, and, uh, and just like a wonderful place to work. Like there's really nothing else that I'm looking for in life at this point, uh, in terms of achieve like business or entrepreneurial achievement. Like I, I, at that point will have reached, reached my goals and, um, and, uh, I can't wait for that to happen. That's awesome. Eric, uh, you know, thank you so much for your honesty, right? We, we talk about these NFTs all the time. And so many times we probably forget that there is real people, right? Real yes. people behind yes. these projects that have, have real lives. Um, so uh, I, I love your honesty. We, we kept you along. Uh, this was a great interview, a, a long one. So Eric, uh, that's going to do it for questions. We appreciate you, you know, joining us on the roadmap. We look forward to talking to you soon and hearing more about, you know, Artblocks in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to everybody out there listening, our community, our, our team and our artists. Like, you know, couldn't be here without y'all. And, and uh, thanks for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Awesome. Well, guys, another great interview here on the roadmap. I mean, Mass, a, a huge week, right? We had oh, yeah. G-Funk from Pixelvault and now Eric from Artblocks, two of the biggest projects out there. And, you know, Maz, I got to repeat it, right? I love the honesty from Eric, you know, whether it was the conversation about DAOs and, you know, having the 180 there to the mental health aspects, right? That was something G-Funk touched on on Tuesday, right? Was the mental health aspect and the needing to take breaks. And I I just love the honesty there, uh, you know, behind this project. What did you think? Yeah, you know, and two things that I've noticed from uh, the last two episodes that we've done is you can see the passion in the way these guys talk about their projects, you know, and they see it more than just, you know, just a cash grab or just, you know, putting a price on it, which I love, you know, seeing that aspect of NFTs because we get lost in the floor prices and, you know, in, you know, is it going to pump? Is it not? Why is it dumping? You know, why is there no new news? So I love seeing these two projects that have been around for a while you know, provide that insight that we often forget in this fast moving environment in the NFT world. Perfect. Well, Maz, uh, before we head out today, what do you think if we get to some headlines and talk about some of the big stories out there? Let's break it down, man. Let's go. What do we have? All right. So last, this actually happened last week, but we haven't had a chance to digest uh, this news yet. So Maz, there was a CryptoPunk record purchase that was turned down. So a $9.49 million bid um, turned down by punk owner at Richard, R-I-C-H-E-R-D on Twitter. Before the bid, he had said that his punk was not for sale. Don't care what anyone offers me. And then it was almost like someone out there taunted him, right? And they put this bid out there. There was also some rumors that maybe, you know, this was a PR move. The, the big thing here is that this was a punk that's not even one of the most rare, right? It has the 3D glasses, um, which is a decent trait. You can see it there on the screen, the cigarette. Um, but the big key here for Richard was he said that over the past six months, I have used 6046 as my identity and have built up a significant brand around it. To me, my brand identity and what I'm building in the NFT space will be way more valuable in the long run. And and this would have broke the record by a lot, right? The top sales 
7.58 million, 7.57 million, 5.45 million. So, I mean, a significant bump up from the record. And I mean, Maz, what do you think of this and how important is it if an anonymous person out there, you know, makes their PFP and NFT and builds a, a community, are they ever going to be able to sell it? Well, you know, that's a great point. But a lot of these guys, they've had their punks, you know, through the cycles where they've 10x, 500x, 1000x, and they've held for this long, which tells us, you know, they identify with it in more of a, you know, like you said, brand instead of just a monetary thing. So it's curious to see the um, build around it as opposed to just selling it for profit, right? So this guy can build his brand and, you know, monetize it without having to sell his punk, which I think is cool. But having that offer, I mean, that's tempting, man. I don't know how, you know, that's a big offer. So, yeah, I mean, we say diamond hands and, you know, NFTs and stocks all the time, but I'm a big fan of taking some profits too. And I mean, you talk about a profit, that's, that's a big one. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a big one to pass up on. But uh, again, more power to Richard out there for, for holding on to that punk. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was huge. Um, Let's see. In other news, though, we have Mechaverse, right? So Mechaverse has taken a slight dip in value over the last week. Uh, we've seen some controversy here, Chris. We've seen people talk about, you know, you know, they don't look, they don't, you can't tell them apart or, you know, the profile pictures, you know, don't look as good from an aesthetic level. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, that one on screen here, I still love the Lego ones, right? But that one before it, the silver one, if you look at some of the the difference between, you know, a silver, you know, uh, the different ones, it's hard to tell on some of them, right? It's like slight tweaks of color. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they've been kind of accused of, you know, not really having differentiating factors. There was also some accusations of insider trading before the reveal, which we never like to see in the NFT space. But I mean, Maz, these were selling for five to 10 ETH pre-reveal. And then they dipped, right? And we have a floor, I think, right now of 1.83. That silver one that was on screen, um, I think, was a 60 ETH purchase. The Lego style one there was a 50 ETH purchase. So, I mean, yeah. still some big purchases. But this this project, for being a, as big of an event as it was, you know, 200,000 in the Discord, 200,000 on Twitter, the hype has completely just died out. And, I mean... I haven't really seen anyone make a Mecca their PFP. What about you, Mass? I have not. And that just comes down to the question, you know, myself included. All I knew about Mecca was that it was very hyped and that you can sell it for a profit, right? I didn't I don't know much about what they're doing. You know, I, I feel like that message got lost with all this hype, you know, the community aspect, what their goals are, what the roadmap looks like. I feel like that got lost and pushed in the back end, which doesn't mean they can't make a comeback and turn it around and you know focus on that now. Um, but you know, with those hype drops, we tend to just be, you know, more concerned about the price. And once the price drops, we tend to look at it as a, you know, I wouldn't say this is a failed project, but definitely it's lost a lot of its hype and community behind it. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. I think the important thing here still is that anyone that won the lottery, right. And you were able to mint these, your cost was still 0.2 plus gas. And there wasn't yeah. a huge gas war because you had six hours so 0.2, and you essentially could have sold it pre-reveal for 5 to 10 ETH. Or if you yeah. hold it, you could probably sell it for 2 or 1.8 floor now throughout the last couple of weeks. So yeah. you still could have made a huge profit. The people that, you know, 
probably aren't too happy about the project hype dying down is anyone who bought after the lottery, right? That was buying, you know, for five ETH pre-reveal. Um, but yeah, I mean, th this project, I, I wish it the best. Maybe it'll come back to life. But uh, for now, I, I just think the cycle's kind of over there. Uh, Maz, we got to talk for a minute about Crypto Dads, right? We had Crypto Dads on the show. So one of the big events is finally happening, right? If you own a Crypto Dad, you can mint a Crypto Mom for free plus gas, one mom per wallet. So there is Mom X, right? <laughs> to a little take on SpaceX. Um, we, we have some other moms. They've, they've released some sneak peeks. Uh, we got some rainbow lips there, the, the flower hat. Um, and then I think that that is the OG there, Maz. They're calling that the this Mom OG. That one right there. I think that's going to be no, the, the big one, right? So they will yeah. be revealing starting tonight at 7 p.m. So this happened last night. You have a week to mint if you own a Crypto Dad. Um, so I have not minted my mom's yet because I keep waiting for, for gas to die down. But I kind of want to mint before the reveal tonight. Um, but I'll be following these at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time when these start to show up. Um, and we'll see uh, what I get out of this uh, reveal. Love that. You know, we love the dads. Such a great community. Uh, you know, seeing them come out with the moms so quick because their project is only a couple of weeks old. So seeing them launch so quick is great to see. Um, so let's move on here. We have some big Board Ape Yacht Club sales. So Matt Kalish, who is the DraftKings co-founder, he sold the Board Ape for 696.969 ETH. You know, love the numbers there, uh, which is the third highest ETH amount ever paid for a Board Ape. So that's huge. We've seen two top sales where it's 769 ETH, 740 ETH, and then this one is the third one here. So this Ape has a trippy fur, which I believe only 0.77% of them have it which is 77 apes and then has a king's crown as well only 77 apes have it and the floor right now is 29 ETH. uh what do we think about this chris yeah i mean i love the sale price right again i mean it's hard to pass up on these big numbers so um i didn't look at when those other top two sales happened but based on ethereum rising i mean this might actually be the top ape sale in you know usd right um because yeah. that's one of the things with that's these true. sales is it's based in ETH. But if Ethereum was 3000 versus 4000 today, same with the floor price, right? The floor yeah. price on apes is 29 ETH right now, which is actually more than, you know, a floor price of, say, 33, 34 a couple weeks ago. Um, but I like this. The DraftKings co-founder, Matt Kalish, he's been he, he's been pretty uh, vocal and bullish on uh, board apes. Uh, he still has some. In fact, I think his profile picture on Twitter is is a board ape still. Um, DraftKings has also gotten into Bored Apes, right? They bought one to give away for a contest. So, I mean, I, I like the sale here. I love that trippy fur too, uh, you yeah. know, as one of the traits. So there's only 77 out there. And actually the top sale ever in ETH right there was also, I believe, a trippy mm -hmm. fur. Trippy so fur. that 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 trait is uh, definitely one to keep on watch with two of the top three sales of all time. And, and, and Mass, speaking of Bored Apes, right? So as I said, you know, we, we saw... Um, you know, DraftKings do a, uh, not a giveaway, but you could enter a daily fantasy contest and the winner got a board ape, right? Huge value if you were the winner. We are now seeing that Coinbase is giving away a board ape yacht club NFT right there on screen. That is number 4,609. This is if you download the Coinbase wallet app, you import or set up a new wallet. 
and then you tweet your Twitter username and the hashtag Coinbase Wallet Sweepstakes. You have until October 26th, and you also have to follow Coinbase on Twitter through November 15th. This isn't a rare ape by any means. Um, the, the key trait here uh, is that service close, right? The, uh -huh. the shirt and the hat. So that is a 1% trait. So it's a decent one. The floor for a service ape right now is 33 ETH, which is more than $135,000. Maz, I think this just adds to the Coinbase feel, right? They've already had over 2 million people sign up for their NFT waitlist. They already have an app to trade uh, crypto. Now they have a separate wallet app. I, I mean, I think Coinbase, they're just going all in on NFTs here. What do you think? Absolutely. Like Snowfro said earlier, bring it on. So I can't wait to see that. Um, you know, with that, though, Ethereum price has been soaring, man. It's hit over 4,100, you know, in the last couple hours. Um, and it's affecting the NFT market. It seems like people are taking profits. It seems like people are not buying as much. You know, we've started to see a trend where, you know, when ETH rises, we do see NFTs kind of drop in floor price or stay stagnant for a bit. Um, so what are your thoughts, you know, in this as far as the NFT market? Yeah, I mean, I own some Ethereum, so I'm always happy to see Ethereum go up. But on the flip side, as you said, when Ethereum goes up, a lot of times we see NFT floor prices fall, right? We see people yeah. want to sell their NFTs to take a profit or because they'd rather hold the Ethereum, right? I mean, it's hard not to own Ethereum right now when it's ripping and when people are thinking, you know, that it's going to go higher by the end of the year and next year. Um, so this is just a continued cycle, right? We talked about yeah. this on, on the show before, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, again, if you're in NFTs, you got to be patient. Um, you got to know your plan, right? You got to know your, your risk reward, similar to stocks, right? Um, if you get into a project and the floor drops or it drops, you got to know, Hey, am I going to cut my losses and get out? Or am I going to hold because the value could go back up? Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, it, it's one of those things, again, Ethereum 4,100 and NFT floor prices, you know, just falling uh, as a as a pair trade there. So uh, 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 another hot topic, though. Maz, uh, a team that we had on the show a couple times now, uh, the Doge Pound. So they have delivered, right? I mean, this is a project where they started, the, the floor price has gone up, they built a good community. They launched puppies, right? So everyone who had a Doge Pound got a puppy. They have a Halloween drop coming up if you own a Doge OG and a, a puppy. They have an app. They've they've uh, launched early access to some other projects. They have a new roadmap coming out at 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Um, so they tweeted that. So again, 7 o'clock tonight. I don't have any early details. Um, the one thing I, I think is part of that uh, we've seen some athletes get into NFTs and Doge Pound has kind of been teasing over the last couple of weeks um, that they have signed some NBA players up for a, a new NFT series. So I think maybe that'll tie in. Maybe Doge Pound owners will get early access to that. Um, but maybe we're getting some new dogs or some new puppies or something down the road again. I mean, I just feel like this team ha has well exceeded expectations and I'm excited to see what this new roadmap has. What do you think? Same. Yeah. You know, the Doge Pound team, they're one of the few teams that I see that are constantly well aware of the markets and are, you know, providing utility and value for current holders and marketing themselves to bring on new holders by, you know, all these things that they're doing. So 
we'll find out and we'll report in our next episode of what this is here. But so today, this morning, Chris, I don't know if you saw Reese Witherspoon. She changed her Twitter profile pic. Uh, it was a World of Women pic. So that's her new profile picture. Yeah. So we see this here. Um, you know, this is big because we saw her come on a couple of weeks ago on Twitter and ask about, you know, NFTs and ETH. And she wanted to get involved in it. So seeing her change her profile picture, we've seen Shaq, you know, and her and a couple other celebs do this. Uh, you know, do we see this moving forward with other celebs coming on? I think definitely the the thing I liked about, you know, Reese Witherspoon was she she definitely said from the start she wanted to know more about women led NFT projects. Yes. Right. And, and again, mm -hmm. that's no sleight of hand or, you know, offense to the, the male projects out there. But there's been kind of a drive, you know, especially with some of these celebrities and finding the, the female led projects. I still I love World of Women. Maz, it's one of those ones where I, I kick myself about, right? We've talked about this before. I, I oh, posted yeah. about it at 0 0.06 ETH in a Discord. We watched it go up to three. I think it's above two ETH today for the floor. I mean, Gary V's in it, uh, Art Chick's in it, uh, Logan Paul's in it. Um, now Reese Witherspoon, you got some big names in there. And I just, I like the artwork. I like their community. And again, a, a woman-led project. And, and Maz, to your point, you know, celebrities, athletes, they're, they're changing their profile pictures, right? And I think that can really, you know, build a project up, right? And it, and it can do more. It can build the floor price. But also if the athlete or the, the celebrity engages in the Discord, you know, interacts with the community, I, I mean, it really shows that some of these communities have, you know, staying power, um, you know, going forward. Absolutely. And first of all, every time that I look at the World of Women floor price, Chris, I think of you, man. So FYI. yeah, for better or worse. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you say that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a hard time looking at it today. As soon as I saw Reese's post, I was like, no. Oh, man. I was like, <laughs> of course she picked that one. I am curious if we get the backstory or if we hear from Reese, right? There was actually a post about that today. You know, will Reese do, you know, a Twitter spaces? Will she do an interview? Will she start talking about, you know, NFTs? And I'm curious to hear if she says, you know, why World of Women? You know, was it people posting that on her Twitter? Did the team reach out to her? Did she yeah. find it herself, right? How did this come to be? Because, Maz, I don't know if you remember that, but when she posted that tweet and it was like, what NFTs should I look at? I mean, might as well not post that, right? Because she got oh, thousands yeah, of responses. She got shilled. She had people not even talking about NFTs, I mean, and posting ridiculous things. Like, that. that's what happens, right? When you're a celebrity, you're always going to get a, a ton of responses. But I'm curious, you know, so... Reese, if you happen to be watching, I mean, we'd love to have you on and hear about World of Women, because uh, I want to know, you know, why this project and how did you find it? Um, and again, we could uh, talk more about celebrities with their PFPs. Let's tag her on Twitter. We'll break this clip down and post it on Twitter and tag her. So I've, hopefully she sees this. Yeah. And, you know, Maz, I didn't happen to look uh, at her wallet. Uh, I guess that would be the other thing is now that you see the World of Women uh, uh, picture there, you could probably find it right on OpenSea yeah. based on the traits and you could probably find the wallet and i'm curious if anyone has done that yet and uh maybe we see is this the first one did how long has she owned this for um you know and is there going to be more purchases down the road uh you know part of that conversation with uh with snowfro right was talking about the big investors but we've also seen you know some celebrities buying up art blocks right buying up CryptoPunks um, uh, again. And is it a store of value? Is it, you know, a flex? Is it for the PFP? 
I think it's a combination, right, of all those things. Absolutely. You know, and I've seen some feedback about celebs joining. You know, I've seen criticism where, you know, we've have seen celebs join, you know, they buy, you know, a hyped project, you know, they 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 come into the NFT space and then a couple of weeks later they launch their own project and just kind of cash grab it and then they just leave, right? So we've seen that a couple of times. Uh it's going to be interesting to see if that continues to happen or if we see people that actually love the space. For example, Steph Curry joined the Board Apes, you know, he put it in his bio, he's part of the community, he's in the Discord sometimes. Um, so I'm curious to see, you know, which directions certain celebs take, you know, with their platform because they have an influence. So we'll see where that goes as well. So I'm yeah, and I mean, that. Reese's she put out a tweet, right? It was GM friends and tagged World of Women. You saw Gary V retweet it, uh, saying yeah. "Welp," and then Reese retweeted Gary V's tweet. Um, but to your point about the bio, it looks like Reese Witherspoon does not have a Twitter bio. Um, so we'll see if maybe she, she adds something there, but, uh, I think, you know, it, this is definitely along that, that big conversation we can have on every show, Maz, right? Celebrities, yeah. athletes getting into NFTs. I still think, you know, we're early, we are going to make it because the fact that these people want in, um, and are just now getting in, I mean, when some of us were in this for months or years, I think shows, you know, the life cycle continuing for NFTs. Maz, I think that was all our headlines. Is there anything else out there? Any, uh, you know, upcoming projects? We haven't talked really about any upcoming mints um, or, or new projects. Uh, what do you think? Anything catch your eye out there? You know, that's funny that you mentioned that because there, it's, it's been slow. You know, I probably haven't minted projects in a while that I've, unless there's stealth drops. So what I've realized is the best thing to do now with a, you know, downtrending market is to join these discords, try to get on these whitelists. And do your research on these projects before you just, you know, mindlessly throw ETH at it. Um, I think if we can change that and, you know, start doing more of this, we may see less, you know, just junk coming out and more, you know, uh, projects that are actually focused on the community and the art. So that's kind of where I'm headed towards in my direction instead of just trying to mint projects in the last couple of weeks or so. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I feel like for a while we were seeing, you know, maybe three or four minutes a day and then it got yeah. up to 15, 16, 20 minutes a day, right? Maybe if we can see the trends continue down, they can be more focused, right? And then, you know, we'll see more people mint them. When you're having 20 minutes a day and people are keeping their ETH because they don't want to lose it right now with the bull market, you're yeah. not selling out these projects and, and you're just not getting the interest and those projects are losing momentum real fast. So I'm with UMass, haven't done much minting, um, but have done some Discord joining, some whitelist uh, yeah. searches, some contests, some scavenger hunts, right? Whatever I can do exactly. to, to get on these whitelists. And again, I mean, look for those Discords, um, find those communities where you think this project is, is you know, going to last. I, I mean, I'll even use the example with... Uh, Snowfro, right? He said the Artblocks Discord was only a thousand when they dropped one of their most successful projects. There's over forty thousand now. And then on the flip side, you saw, you know, Mechaverse had over two hundred thousand. But I haven't looked lately. But I'm guessing there's a lot less than two hundred thousand in there now. Um, yeah. So that's the other thing is maybe find some of these NFTs that have already minted um, that may still have the strong communities and that staying power going forward. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, guys, that's going to do it for us. Another exciting episode of the roadmap. I mean, Maz, we had a killer week, right? Tuesday, G-Funk from Pixel Vault. We got to talk about Punk's comic, Meta Hero, 
Um, we got to talk, you know, about that that talent deal. Maybe we get some movies, some TV in the future. We had uh, Snowfro from Art Blocks on today. We also got through all those exciting headlines. Uh, you know, Maz, it's hard to pick, you know, a favorite moment or a, a, a big event from this week. Uh, it was just so full of them. Yeah, you know, these are two episodes that I personally will go back and just uh, listen to them and watch them over again, just as there's so much alpha and info from these two, you know, guys that are killing it in the space. And I see them having, you know, long term value in the NFT world. So, yeah, great week for us and great week for people watching and the guests coming on. It's been great. Definitely. Well, we will be back next Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I know we've still got more guests on the docket for October and November. I don't know who off the top of my head. So it's going to be a surprise for everyone out there, including myself uh, and for Maz, unless if he knows off the top of his head. But Maz, we will be back on Tuesday. So thanks for everyone who tuned in or is watching this. We do have all our episodes available as podcast as well. But if you are watching on YouTube, make sure you like this video and you subscribe to Benzinga's YouTube channel uh, and let Benzinga know, hey, I want more episodes of the roadmap. I want more NFT content so we can keep pushing forward with our show. Absolutely. See you guys on Tuesday. Don't miss your free chance to tune into Benzinga's very own bootcamp series on November 20th. If you're looking to dive into new concepts and grow your account, this one's for you. 